Father, thank you for our time together this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that he would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through the life of this woman whose life he changed drastically like he has mine and hopefully everyone in this room. Lord, just go before us, have your will and way, help me think clearly and quickly, and for everything to work, the PowerPoint slides, the sound, the recording, have our minds focused on what you have to say to us and not the busyness of our days, um, and we will give you the glory for whatever you do accomplish here this morning, for it's in your name, Jesus, that we do pray, amen. Well, as I said, Joanna is briefly mentioned in Scripture three times, and there are the three passages, Luke 8, verses 1 to 3, Luke 23, 55, Luke 24, 10. By the way, Luke is called the Gospel of Women. That's one of the names for the Gospel of Luke because he talks more about women than any of the other Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, or John. Um, and... Uh, she is a powerful, Joanna serves as a powerful example of what can happen when grace interrupts a life that may seem the least likely to receive it. A lot of times you meet people and you think, well, they're probably not going to be very receptive to the gospel. Something just, you know, in you, you, you judge them, and, and you might be completely wrong. <laughs> so we shouldn't judge by a person. You know, remember we talked about Anna, and she was an old widow, poor, and then we had uh, Samaritana, and she was a promiscuous woman, and now we're going to talk about a woman who was prosperous. But the grace of the Lord um, works in all people, doesn't it? And, and we never know who might be receptive. So the grace of God in the person of the Lord Jesus did interrupt this woman's life, Joanna, in a very positive way. Interrupted her life physically, and his grace interrupted her life spiritually, which is far more important. And isn't that interesting? Since her name, Joanna, does mean God is gracious. She was, if you look at um, the verses one, 8, 1, to 3, let me just read those for you. Uh, and it came to pass afterward that he went, that he, of course, is the Lord, went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. That would be his twelve disciples. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Husa, Herod Stuart, and Susanna, and many others which, which ministered unto him of their substance. So Joanna was the wife of Husa. <laughs> Who is Husa? Well, Husa was the house steward of Herod Antipas, one of Herod the Great's sons. Herod Antipas was called a tetrarch, um, because he only he wasn't king like his father of all of Israel. He just was king of a fourth of Israel. He was king of Galilee, or tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. He is the nasty Herod, and they were all nasty. Actually, 
he didn't have a drop of blood, of Jewish blood in him. This, this guy was half uh, Idumean from Esau, and he was half Samaritan. No Jewish blood at all. And yet he's the king of the Tetrarch of Galilee. But he is the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. Remember, he is the one Jesus called that fox. Well, Husa, Joanna's husband, oversaw everything regarding Herod's finances, which had to mean that he was a man of intelligence, a man of character, trust, um, and ability. He had the position, the same position, that Joseph had when he was a slave working for Potiphar. He was the head financial guy for Herod Antipas. So Husa and Joanna, his wife, would have lived in the palace of Herod, which was located in Tiberias, which was on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. If you could go walk straight from Capernaum to Tiberias, it would be about 10 miles. You couldn't walk straight because you'd have to walk. Well, if you were Jesus, you could do it. You'd have to walk on the water to get there. But if you went around the sea, it would be about 15 miles. So she lived in the palace in Tiberias, and Jesus' headquarters for his Galilean ministry were in Capernaum. And we know he spent a lot of time up in Galilee. But she and Husa lived in the palace, so they enjoyed the luxuries of, of that kind of life um, and the comforts and the pro prosperity that came with living, you know, high society. <laughs> so Joanna could have easily, easily been overlooked as someone who, because of her position in society and her prosperity and her powerful worldly connections, would not be open to accepting the Lord Jesus. Just like the nobleman of Capernaum. You know, you wouldn't expect a guy like that. He, was, uh, he wasn't Jewish, he was Roman. Or Zacchaeus, the little short guy <laughs> who was very wealthy, a tax collector. Um, or Cornelius, another Roman. Or even the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, you was, some of these people, you wouldn't expect them to be open to the scripture, but the grace of God and his reach into people's hearts is far broader than we know because his love um, is infinitely greater, isn't it? So let's never judge somebody, you know, and, and say, well, I'm not going to present the gospel to them because I don't think they'd ever receive. They're just way too rich or way too powerful. From Luke 8, 2, uh, we learn where we find that Joanna was either possessed of an evil spirit, you know, now we do know that one of the ladies who traveled with her had been possessed by how many demons, evil spirits? Seven, and what was her name? Mary Magdalene. She was possessed. We don't know, if you read that carefully, we don't know for sure if Joanna was possessed by an evil spirit or if she had some kind of physical ailment. Um, if she did have a, a physical ailment of some kind, she probably, with her wealth, would have exhausted all the available resources, you know, all the local physicians and everyone she could come into contact 
with who might have an answer for her problem, which, whatever it was. We don't know what her physical problem was. Remember, there was another lady like that, actually in the same chapter as um, this. She was the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, and she must have been pretty wealthy too because she, it says she tried everything. She went to every physician available, and um, no one had a cure until she, what did she do? Touched the hem of his garment, and she was immediately cured. So Joanna had some kind of a problem, and uh, even though she probably spent lots of money trying to find the answer, uh, she still found herself with no relief from her affliction. Now, it is likely that Husa was among those in Herod's household to whom, and we are told this in scripture, the king or the tetrarch Herod, Antipas, shared his worries. It does tell us that he was very concerned <laughs> uh, when he first heard about Jesus. Why was he so concerned? And it does tell us that he shared his concerns, his anxiety, his worry with his household. And that would include Husa. And who do you think Husa told everything to? His wife, Joanna. Anyway, why was he worried when he first started hearing about Jesus? Well, he feared that Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected or reincarnated, not really resurrected, but risen from the dead somehow or another, after he, Herod, had beheaded him. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he was scared. He, re he regretted right away what he had done to John, um, but he never did repent, did he? He regretted it. He got, you know, drunk and promised his dancing, whatever she was, his wife's daughter, um, anything she wanted. And, of course, her mother was in on it, and she wanted John's head, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but he regretted that because he actually um, had enjoyed talking to John. I think he used to, the dungeons were usually in the palace of a king. You know, when Joseph was thrown into the dungeon, it was in, actually in the, the, the house of Potiphar. So he probably went down to the dungeon and talked, Apparently he did, it says he did, uh, talk to John quite a bit. And even before he threw him in there, he used to talk to him, and he found him very fascinating. And so he was, he was uh, interested in John, but he, after he beheaded him, he got increasingly callous, kind of like Pharaoh. He kept hardening his heart, hardening his heart, until eventually Jesus called him that fox. And you remember when Pontius Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, and he didn't want to have to sentence an innocent man <clears throat> to crucifixion. And then he heard, you know, oh, yeah, Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee. He, and, and he heard that Jesus was from Galilee, from Nazareth of Galilee. He thought he had an out. He had found a little loophole. Um, and so he, he knew that Herod also had a palace in Jerusalem. So he sent Jesus over to Herod to see what he would say about him. And do you remember that Herod, of course, asked him all kinds of foolish questions. He really just wanted to see a miracle. Didn't he? he wanted a thrill. By this time, his heart was completely calloused. Um, and, he, and he talked and he asked Jesus questions, but what was the response from the Lord, which was very rare, very rare. He didn't say a word. He wouldn't, he wouldn't give him the dignity of answering anything. He stood there in 
absolute silence. I mean, he, he even talked to Pilate, didn't he? He talked to everybody, but he, the one he would not say a word to was Herod. So his heart was completely hardened to truth at that time. That's a scary place to be. Well, because Joanna lived in the palace as Husa's wife, she would have known all about the events that had taken place between Herod <clears throat> and his wife Herodias. <clears throat> those weren't really names, those were titles. <clears throat> Herodias was like a female Herod title. <laughs> uh, but she was his new wife. This is so complicated. Um, Herodias was actually Herod the Great. You know, Herod the Great was the first Herod. He was put into place as king of Israel by the Romans. And um, he's the one who, who issued the slaughter of the Bethlehem children, the slaughter of the innocents, trying to kill Jesus because they said he was the king of the Jews. Okay, that's Herod the Great. Well, Herodias, Herod's, Herod Antipas' wife, was Herod the Great's granddaughter. And she actually married two of her uncles, which were Herod the Great's sons. <laughs> Talk about intermarriage. Um, the first uncle she married was Philip. Philip was the half-brother of Herod Antipas, the fox who beheaded John the Baptist. All right? Well, she had an affair with Herod Antipas and so um, divorced Philip, her other uncle, <laughs> and, and, uh, and Herod divorced his wife, and they got married. Um, so he married, he not only married his niece, he married his half-brother's wife. <laughs> so John, a righteous man and a prophet, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, couldn't keep silent about that. And he pointed it out as being not only adulterous, but also incestuous. And, of course, Herodias didn't like that too much, and that's why she tricked him when he was drunk with her dancing daughter, Salome. I always think of Salami, don't you? And Salome probably was just a young girl, and, of course, he lusted or whatever and said, oh, give her whatever she wants, and she wants the head of John the Baptist and all that. So... Joanna lives in the palace. So this, she knows all about this, right? Obviously. Usually the servants and the people that work for rich people or kings, they know everything, don't they? They know it all. <clears throat> she also would have known about the Baptists, whose message to Israel was to repent, for the kingdom of God was at hand, and the Messiah was, you know, had come. And then also during the Lord's Galilean ministry, she would have heard living there, you know, just 10 miles really from Capernaum and all the places that Jesus performed many, many miracles. She would have heard about all of that and the healings that he had performed. So obviously at some point in time, she left the palace because we know he didn't come to the palace. Jesus did not come to the palace where... Um, Herod lived, but she went out and about and probably heard him, joined the crowds and heard him preach or, or whatever, and um, all we know exactly is that somewhere along the line, um, she, after John was beheaded, she 
came into contact with Jesus and along with Mary Magdalene and Susanna, now that would be another Anna we could add to our study, right? <laughs> Except I don't know anything, nobody knows anything about her other than this, that's it. And then you know that she was also at the tomb and stuff. But um, So all we know is that she was among the certain women that Luke tells us here were healed of evil spirits and or infirmities. Now, whether she was possessed of an evil spirit, I cannot say. Whether she suffered some physical or even mental ailment, we don't know. But what we do know is that after her miraculous healing by the Lord, what did she do? She did what all of us should do. She gave her life to Jesus. She's mentioned in Luke chapter 8 as one of many women, Galilean women, who traveled with him and his men and ministered to them. What do you think they ministered to them doing? Cooking, washing their clothes, sewing anything that might have torn, you know, whatever. You know, women are women, and they take care of all those kind of needs. It says they ministered to him and the men out of their substance. These were wealthy women. Having freely received Jesus' healing touch, she freely gave of herself and her prosperity for his welfare and for the furtherance of his ministry. Substance actually refers to material possessions, such as money and even property. She had the gift of giving. So as she traveled with him, with the other servant-hearted female disciples. Did Jesus have female disciples? Yes, he did. He had, he had female, and she was one of them. She was, just think of the privilege she had to um, firsthand hear his teaching everywhere they went. And this was early in the ministry, his ministry, so she traveled along, you know, most of his time his earthly ministry. She heard him teach many, many times. She was an eyewitness to many of his undeniable miracles, one of which she herself had experienced. Can you imagine what a privilege that was? Very blessed woman. She was well-connected, well-connected to two different worlds, wasn't she? She had access <clears throat> to both Herod's palace and um, to Jesus. Due to God's orchestration of circumstances and his plans, believers will sometimes find themselves in very unique places to witness for him. Who do you think of right off the bat? Who, who was raised in the palace and was yet a Jew? Moses, yeah, Moses. And then later another one, Joseph. And uh, they both found themselves in the, the Jewish, wonderful believers in, in the Lord, and yet and they found themselves in the palaces of mighty, very powerful Egyptian pharaohs. Or think of Daniel, just as a young captive boy taken over to Babylon. He wound up serving in a, in a very powerful position under King Nebuchadnezzar as a trusted, most trusted advisor. Or think of Nehemiah, who served um, King Artaxerxes as his what? Cup, 
cupbearer. Uh, all of these were greatly used of, of the Lord um, in, in interesting places. I'm sure there's people in the White House that are Christians, and they're there to witness of God, and I hope they're doing their job. Or think of Queen Esther. She was Jewish, even though her husband didn't know it. And she, wow, she saved her people from annihilation. There would be no Jews because of Haman. There would be no Jews. They were going to wipe out every Jew if it wasn't for Esther. And she's another woman we should study. Joanna was just such, such a person, person. She was in a unique place. She was the wife of a rich and powerful man, so she could have had a nice, cushy life. She did for years. And they usually were much younger than their husbands, by the way. They say Husa was probably 20 or 30 years older than her, married, you know, young. And Husa might not have been Jewish. They're not sure. Um, he might have been, I forget what I read, Nabataean. Um, and, she, of course, she, she was Jewish. But anyway, she could have had an easy life. Like Moses could have had a really easy life. But uh, she recognized Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, and he became her first priority. She followed him as a disciple, and she remained faithful to him. Not only when he was popular, I'm probably behind. Um, no, I'm not behind. She, she was faithful to him not only when he was very popular with the multitudes flocking all around him, but even <clears throat> when it became dangerous to be affiliated with him. She stayed with him. Even when he was crucified and all seemed lost. Joanna was a woman of obvious wealth, prominence, and yet Jesus breaks down all, all class and economic barriers, all divisions between people. And boy, that's one thing they really want to do to us today, isn't it? is divide people, divide, 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 divide. Um, but he breaks down all those divisions and um, reconciles people from every walk of life. I mean, in this room, we could go around. We're all from different places. Some, some, someone's from Indiana here today. I mean, all different places in the country, maybe. Even Katya, where are you from? Tell them. Ukraine. From the Ukraine. We even have someone here from the Ukraine. And she, we just had Dr. Gibbs in our church. She was his interpreter. See, famous people in our audience here. <laughs> um, but it doesn't matter, rich, poor, male, female, whatever. He breaks down all divisions. He is the answer, isn't he? He is the answer the world needs so desperately. Because in him, we're one, all of one spirit, all of one body. You know, you can meet somebody who's a Christian. I don't care where they live, Timbuktu, the age difference, nothing. You're just automatically one spirit with them, aren't you? I've had that happen so many times. And they're a brother or a sister in Christ. It's believed by numerous Bible scholars, and this is interesting, that Joanna was a major contributor to Luke's research on his gospel. You know, Luke was a historian. He not only was a Greek physician, he was a historian. And he went around. He was not an apostle. 
People always think he was an apostle. No, he wasn't one of the 12 apostles. But he came to, we don't know when he came to Christ, but he did. And he was led by the Spirit to write one of the four Gospels. And before he did that, he told Theophilus, who he wrote both um, Acts and Luke to, that uh, he did all his research. Well, he went around and he he was he had traveled with Paul and all, all he knew them all okay he knew the apostles and uh, he he not only talked to them but he talked to probably Mary Jesus's mother all kinds of people because they were living then and he wrote to, you know he just recorded everything well they say that Joanna probably provided Luke with much of the valuable insight that is included in his two God-inspired writings, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. According to the scholars, it appears that much of the inside information about the Lord's final trials, you know, he had six um, religious trials, and, I mean three religious trials and then three Roman trials, so altogether six trials. A lot of the information about those trials and about his torture and what they did to him remember Herod when he went and he wouldn't talk to him what Herod mocked him and you know made mockery he's the one that put the the uh, red scarlet what do you call it robe on him and mocked him and all that but she, there's they say that a lot of that information would have come from Joanna because she had access to government buildings and to important officials which common Galileans would not have had. Um, and this is all due to her husband's elite position as King Herod's right-hand man. And remember I told you, Herod was in his palace. He had multiple palaces. He liked to build palaces. <laughs> that was his hobby, besides marrying his relatives. Uh, <laughs> but he was in for the Passover when Jesus was, you know, crucified and went through all the trials. He was there in Jerusalem, so she would have access because of her husband into his palace. You see what I'm saying? Do you follow me? Um, and so that is interesting. I never would have thought of that, but she could have been a, a valuable resource to Luke. Well, what else does Scripture tell us about Joanna? Luke repeatedly tells us that during Jesus' interrogation and his crucifixion and his burial, there was a group of women watching. We read that over and over again in the book of Luke. And where were they watching from? It says afar in one of the passages, from a distance. One of those women from Galilee watching all these things from afar was Joanna. These were the women who were the last to leave the crucifixion site. Remember those women when we did the study on, the, on this? I think it was when we did the resurrection reality. We talked about this. Um, that they followed Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus to see where they took Jesus to bury him. They wanted to find out where he was buried because what did they plan to do? Those faithful, grieving female disciples, they wanted to come back. After the Sabbaths were over, they wanted to come back and anoint him further with their handmade burial spices as if he needed any more. You know, 
<laughs> he had 100 pounds worth already, but that's just women. You know, they always have to do something, and they wanted to show their love. One of those women was Joanna. Um, so they wanted to continue their ministry of love for him, even after he was cold and dead in the tomb. Their devotion was amazingly rewarded. Joanna was among those few women who were the first, very first in all the world to hear the fantastic news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember, they heard that news from an angel. We called him the tombstone angel because he was sitting up on the rolled away tombstone. Um, so she was one of just a handful of women to be the first to hear about the resurrection. He's not here. He is risen, as he said, over and over again. And then, as Joanna and the other women ran hastily, they were told to go tell the apostles. They were running hastily to share the good news of Jesus' resurrection with the apostles. Who appeared to them? The Lord, maybe he, remember he said, all hail? One of Terry's words, hail. Oh, hail. <laughs> so she was one of the first to see the resurrection. Mary Magdalene was the first. He appeared to her at the tomb. And then he appeared to these women as they're on their way back to tell the apostles. Can you imagine that privilege and that honor? Whew. She was one of the first to hear the good news of the resurrection. She was one of the first human eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ, and she was one of the first proclaimers of his resurrection, one of the first to share the good news, the gospel. And uh, what happened when they did share? Remember this? Did the apostles believe the women? No, they were just silly women with their idle tales. They did not believe them. Um, until they saw for themselves. So she was both at the crucifixion and the empty tomb. Actually, she was at the crucifixion. She was at the uh, at burial. She watched the burial, and um, she saw the resurrection. That's all three parts of the gospel, right? Death, burial, resurrection. Whew. Also, her um, husband's office gave her an excellent opportunity to witness of Christ in the palace of one of the Lord's greatest enemies. Someone else had witnessed in that palace. He lost his head for it, and that was John the Baptist. But she also had the opportunity, because of her relationship to her husband, to witness in the palace of, of uh, oops, I don't want to jump the gun there. Hold on a minute. Church tradition. Whenever you say tradition, this you can't be dogmatic about, you know. But tradition says that Husa lost his position as Herod's household manager, steward, because of his wife's conversion to Christianity and her very bold witness to many of Herod's servants. And that could well be. I don't know if she got hold of Husa's heart or not. I hope so, but they, tradition says he lost his position because of her. <clears throat> As a footnote, now this is interesting. There are a number of scholars, if you want to turn over to Romans 16, 7 for a minute. 
Romans 16, 7, and this is where we end. This is a short message. <clears throat> and here, <clears throat> Paul greets all kinds of people as he's closing up the book of Romans. Um, if you look at verse 7, as he's closing up, he says, Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. All right, now, scholars, many scholars believe that this woman, and this is a female name, Junia, <clears throat> who was greeted by the apostle Paul here in Romans 16, 7, may be, in fact, Joanna of Luke's gospel. Junia is the Roman or Latin version of the Hebrew name Joanna. Hmm. Paul said that she was a fellow prisoner who was well known among the apostles. Well, of course she would be, wouldn't she? She traveled with them, ministered to them. And also he says she came to Christ before him which would be true of Joanna. So as I said, it can't be dogmatic about this, but if Joanna and Junia are one and the same, this tells us that she went on to serve in the early church, spreading the gospel, which she had personally wit witnessed, you know, all three phases of it. And um, that she, was, she even suffered persecution and imprisonment for her faith. She was a fellow prisoner with Paul at one point in time. So even if Joanna is not Junia, even though it's the same name, one just in Hebrew and one in, in Latin, we can be sure that this wonderful woman, whose name means God is gracious, remained a vibrant witness for Jesus Christ for the rest of her life. So do you now know a little bit more about Joanna? Yeah, great. Great testimony, great privilege for giving up so much. She was there. Death, burial, resurrection. My, my. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the valuable lessons that we can learn from the life of a prosperous, privileged woman who lived in a, in a beautiful palace with all kinds of creature comforts, and yet, just like Moses, she willingly gave it up to wholeheartedly serve the one who not only cured her body but saved her eternal soul. She surrendered herself and her substance to the purpose of supporting his ministry, and she was faithful to him in good times when he was popular with the multitudes and in bad times when the crowds turned away and the envious authorities made it known it was very, very dangerous to be associated with him. But she proclaimed her faith everywhere, even in Herod's palace. And if she, if she is indeed Junia of Romans, she even suffered persecution for him because of her faith. And yet nothing could rock her boat. I pray that's true for us too. Nothing would cancel her voice. Nothing could silence her testimony because she was one of those few eyewitnesses of all three aspects of the gospel message. The Lord's death, she was there. His burial, she was watching. And the Sunday morning empty tomb, she was there. 
She heard the angelic message that he was risen, as he said, and she was among the very first handful of women who actually saw him resurrected. Thank you for showing us so much in this lesson, how, how you're no respecter of persons, Jew or Gentile, male or female, young or old, free or bond, you love all and you desire for all to come to you for the spiritual healing you alone can give. And you have a place of service for all of us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did to set us free from the bondage of sin and death by dying in our place. And if there is one here who has never accepted you as Lord and Savior, oh God, we pray today would be the day of her salvation, that she would ask you to come into her heart and save, save her, repent of her sins, and, and live forever. And you're, it's such a, such a wonderful trade. We give you our sins and you give us salvation. So I pray she would do that this very day. Now bless the food to the nourishment of our bodies. Go before us and prepare us for our next lesson on Martha and Mary. For we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.